Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Weird Growth, where we follow the strange and unusual journeys that founders take. Today I'm joined by our director at Ammo, Cam Sinclair. Um, so we're going to do something a little bit different on today's episode. Um, we've actually never looked at Ammo's growth, so we thought it'd be interesting to go back in time, back to where it all began and talk about the growth of, of our own business too, um, uh, before we started this podcast as well. So um, there's a few cool nuggets in there um, that I think other services businesses could really learn and benefit from, um, but also just other principles and things we've seen across the startup journey. I think we've worked with over, what, almost 300 startups now, Cam, something like that. That's right, mate. So um, yeah, we'll get into it. But um, before we do, Cam, please introduce yourself. Thanks, Jack. Normally I'm the one sitting on the other side of the table, but um, you know, this is going to be fun being the, the guest for a change. <laughs> So how would I introduce myself? I'm Cam Sinclair. I founded Ammo nine years ago now after a career in politics, uh, running election campaigns. And I knew I'd always wanted to start a business. I just didn't know what, what, uh, in what space. Um, I was always a tech nerd. I always enjoyed mucking around with computers um, and digital stuff. And so I think I sort of combined my skill set of the marketing campaign PR kind of work with my interest which is in tech and so how could I help tech founders I'm not like a technical person but I love being around people like that and seeing people who are disrupting their space and building cool stuff so it was about how can I help them with my skill set and that's how Ammo was born. Cool cool Um, got so many questions for you today Um, but before we get into it pop Mm. quiz Mm. if you were to start a business from scratch (laughs) today another one now I know how it feels and why now I know how it feels to be put on the spot. Yeah. I didn't even get to think about this. Um, so if I was to start another business from scratch today, it would absolutely be helping people who are blocked with creating content. I think one of the okay. biggest pain points that we have uh, and that we see our clients experience is not really knowing where to start around like, do I do a podcast? Do I do like a video series? Should I write blogs? Should I just do Twitter or Instagram? Or mm. It's just a myriad of options. And we're not, a, we're not a content creation agency at Ammo, but it's something which we, we do see as a pain point all the time. And so I think with the advent, obviously, of the generative AI tools that are out there, you know, ChatGPT being the main one that people will be familiar with, that, that, pain, point, that pain is going to go away very quickly for a lot of people. Mm. And I'm not saying it's going to completely change, uh, it's not going to completely replace content creators or experts Mm. but it's going to make their job so much easier yeah just that idea generation in the beginning like where do you start like just be able to prompt and co-pilot and then yeah try and get something to feed well i think experts are still going to have a better insight into what problems need to be solved Mm. um so you know for example here at ammo we're a growth marketing agency we're still going to have a better more nuanced idea of what our clients are going through day to day Mm. But when it comes to sitting down with a, in front of a blank Word document, mm. now we can sit down with a couple of ideas and then give some prompts to ChatGPT and allow us to step us through that. Yeah. And I'm not suggesting that the new, you know, to answer the pop quiz question, that the new business would be just a generative um, um, thing because you're not going to compete with ChatGPT on that sort yeah. of thing. But what it would be is a, a process to guide people through that yep. so it takes that blank page problem away mm-hmm. and gives them um, confidence to create high-quality content in a far faster amount of time and something which is 
going to um, tick the boxes that they need from a from a marketing point of view right. as well. So another services business then? No, I think it'd be a tool. I think it'd be a oh, product. Tool. Yes. Product. Yeah. yeah. But I think I think it would be baking in the expertise that we have from running a services business yep. into a tool like that. Okay. Um, and I think we'll talk about it later. But um, the 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 real skill with using these generative tools like mm. ChatGPT is. Mm-hmm is actually knowing how to prompt it to get the best results. Yeah, co-pilot, get the voice. And that's the thing I guess I've seen as well from based on my experience using it is that you still need to give it the inputs to be able to take it, you know, where it needs to go with whatever prompt you're... you're yeah, and so I think if you can, um, uh, again, do that part for them, the prompting, mm. and have that sort of behind the scenes and have your proprietary sort of knowledge of the industry behind sitting behind that mm-hmm. and then just allow people to walk through the process... That's going to be quite an exciting um, sort of product, I think. Yeah. So it'll give them that batch of ideas, and then uh, after that, it's up to yeah. them. Yeah. What about a LinkedIn post? Okay, yeah. you've got a blog. Well, how do we turn that into some social content? How do we turn that into a video script? How yeah. do you turn that into a nice, like, short, sharp kind of, um, I don't know, like a Instagram story reel or something like yeah, that? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess the customer for that could be all sorts. Yeah, I think earlier stage founders who don't have in-house marketing teams. Um, or anyone who, you know, might have expertise in a field but not necessarily be great at creating content themselves. Not everyone could be an agency tool as well. Very much could be. Yeah, mm. good point. Yep, something we could use even. Well, we would be our first customer, I'm sure. <laughs> well, that's what they say. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, start start a business, solve a problem, solve your own problem, and then yeah, bang on, go from there. Yeah, yeah. All right, sweet. Um, Next thing I want to talk about with you is your like first um, job because I actually think this is a pretty funny story <laughs> of, of when you first um, went to get into what you thought you were getting into tech. Right, and technology, yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, so I left high school um, and um, as, a, um, as an idiot 16-year-old, I walked out of my, history, uh, my English TEE exam. So I, for whatever reason, had a bad day, just walked out. And although I did okay in English during the year, because I didn't sit the exam, I failed English at high mm. school. And if you fail English at high school in Australia, you can't go straight into uni. It's a prerequisite. Mm. Um, so I didn't have the opportunity to go straight to uni after high school. And I, so I was kind of forced to go and at 17 get my first job, my pr- first proper full-time job mm-hmm. out in the real world. And being a tech nerd... Um, there was a company um, called American Power Conversion, which did like batteries and big power converters for servers and things. And um, I saw a company advertising for a job called APC um, in, on Seek or whatever the sort of made probably the newspaper back then. And um, I was like, oh, cool. And these guys are only around the corner from my house in, in Bassendine. I'll go and apply for that. Um, and I rocked up to the job interview, and it wasn't APC American Power Conversions. It was APC Australian Pallet Cages, which is like a steel manufacturer. They make pallet racking and stuff for warehouses and pallets and stuff. <laughs> um, what a anyway, stitch up. It was the first job interview. Like I had just literally just turned 17. Um, I only just got my driver's license, and, yeah, got the job. Um, I was a salesperson. Um, and in a lot of ways, that job ended up being one of the best things I could have done because – up until then, I was a bit of a you know computer nerd, but what it did was allowed me to learn the art of sales. Mm-hmm. Um, it put me in at like the ground floor of a medium-sized, like Australia-wide business manufacturing 
um, with the with the manufacturer with the factory here in Perth. Mm-hmm. So I got to learn so much about business. I got to talk to the managing director. There's probably a hundred staff there. So I got to see from the raw materials coming in to the creation of the product to the design and estimating um, using CAD and things like that mm. to um, like I built spreadsheets on Excel to create the sales tools and things that we needed to then um, um, create proposals for customers. And so, yeah, at 17 I was selling to like, you know, middle-aged business owners, big, you know, ten of, tens of thousand dollar projects. Mm. Um, in the steel kind of manufacturing industry, and it was um, it was really eye opening, and it got and it made me passionate about business. I'd never mm. had that sort of interest in it before. Great grounding as well, like to you know becoming a business owner and yeah. things like that too, to actually like see from go to woe the the product being built and all of that. Yeah, so. re- it really did because it's very tangible. Um, you know, you're solving a real problem for people, and then you could see it go from just being an idea to a in use. Um, you know, in a big warehouse, forklifts loading on pallets, mm. you know, and become part of an integral part of an operation of a big business. So, yeah, that was really cool. Like, we fitted out IKEA, the new IKEA store at the time in, in Perth and um, massive warehouses at you know, Woolworths and Coles and distribution centres and things. Um, and what happened was, because I was like the young upstart, the boss came to me and said, oh, Cam, we've got Yellow Pages, which used to be like the big phone directory, got the Yellow Pages booking coming up. Could you help us organise that this year? And it was when the ad was on where, like, the um, <laughs> the secretary forgets to put the ad uh, the ad in the Yellow Pages and the boss finds out and, like, Jan's running out the door and she gets the door and goes, not happy, Jan! <laughs> I remember because that Because she forgot ad. the Yellow Pages. Yeah, yeah, and because no, at that time, happy, if you Jan. weren't in the Yellow Pages, yeah. your business was fucked. <laughs> like, it was, the, it was the only way that people found yeah. you from discovery, yeah. not knowing that you already existed. Now yeah. it's Google. Yeah. But back then it was the Yellow Pages. Maybe it'll be the Yellow Pages again. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> we could go back to the Dark Ages at any given moment, right? <laughs> so... Um, I got to do this Yellow Pages thing and it cost $150,000 for this company to be in the Yellow Pages at the time. And it's basically a few, they had a full page ad and then a few other ads in different categories. Mm -hmm. And if you ever stopped paying for your Yellow Pages for a year, for whatever reason, you would go to the back of the queue. So it wasn't alphabetical order. You would pay, it was like first in best dress. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was always like this incentive to keep spending more so you get like the bigger ad space. And anyway, so I designed up all the ads and saw how much it cost and I was like, hey, boss, um, you're spending a lot of money here on marketing and advertising. Um, there's this new thing called Google and you've got a website already. Um, maybe we could use a little bit of that budget to go on Google ads for the same discovery behavior where someone knows they've got a problem they want to solve but they don't know the company that they want to solve it with yet. Yeah. And he was like, sounds wacky, Cam, but... What, what year right. was this? This was 2004. 2004, okay. So um, people still used AltaVista probably back then. And Yahoo okay. was yeah, probably yeah. just as big as Google at the time. Yeah. But Google was the one that had this ads um, product yeah. that you could pay to show up for specific keywords. Mm-hmm. Um, as it turns out, it's the reason that Google's one of the biggest tech companies in the world was that exact feature. Mm. And so he was like, okay, Cam, sounds crazy, but let's give you a go, young buck. Um, give you 10 grand out of the Yellow Pages budget to give Google Ads a go. Mm-hmm. So I taught myself how to do that, set all that up. Um, and over the next 12 months, because Yellow Pages comes out every 12 months, Google generated just as many leads for $10,000 spend as $150,000 in Yellow Pages. Mm-hmm. So 
we're like, hey, we're on to something here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to rebuild the website. Um, you know, I got to look at other sort of innovative ways of marketing the business. Mm-hmm. And I was just the sales assistant essentially. Um, but that got me really interested in the concept that actually if you do a good job marketing, sales isn't sales anymore. You're not trying to like get in front of people and try to sell to them. Mm. You're essentially there helping them mm. and taking orders from, you know, taking business orders from them. Yeah, and that's that's just a great philosophy in yep. general. Yeah. So, you know, I learned that at probably 18. Um, and so at, by that stage I was getting old enough to then resit the – English test and go to university mm. and where I when I was 17 wanted to go into computer science now I was interested in marketing mm. and finance and mm. business um, and so I was a little bit older I had a little bit of business experience when mm-hmm. I finally did get to uni um, and went and studied commerce commerce and with a major in finance and marketing at uni yeah yeah cool so that I mean those are great skills that put you in good stead to then start ammo um, tell us about that where did ammo all begin and well, um, in between that was probably getting indoctrinated into the political system when oh, I was at yeah. university. <laughs> so <laughs> we can't, you we know, can't skip that, I guess. That's, I was at uni in two thousand and seven, which was part. Yeah, um, uni in two in oh seven, which was the Kevin oh seven election, and it was this new wave of like trendy, a younger generation mm-hmm. of voters were influencing the political scene. Mm-hmm. You know, Kevin from Queensland, and I'm here to help, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was on the other side of politics. Mm-hmm. I was on, you know, John Howard had been the prime minister for um, 11 years. He was getting a little bit, um, people were getting a little bit tired of him, and so there was this, you know, big sort of um, backlash against that old style of of leadership mm. um, and and stability. People wanted something fresh. So how do you then position the candidate differently? Like what, do you, what are some of the actual things you do in place to, yeah. to make sure that they're, they're, they're not getting tired of it and they want... Yeah, well, there are three main vote drivers for people mm-hmm. in Australia. Um, so there's the, the party brand. Mm-hmm. So that is associated with like what policies, what they stand for, what the philosophy is. Mm-hmm. There's the leader brand. Mm-hmm. So that's like who that person is, what, you know, how you connect with them, whether you trust them, whether you like them. Um, and then there's the local candidate. So that's like the person that you actually get to vote for um, as your local representative. And so what you want to do is figure out which of those three levers your particular brand is strongest at mm-hmm. and then focus on promoting that. Um, when it comes to positioning leaders, you know what, it's, um, it's largely up to them. I mean, you can't change... And you shouldn't try to change someone's personality or who they really are. Mm. You should allow their unique natural strengths to mm-hmm. to shine. Um, and leaders do have, like, you know, it sounds funny even saying it, but a lot of power about how they present themselves and it's up to them um, the way that they want to present themselves. But you ideally want to have a persona, a public persona, which is relatable. Um, it might not necessarily be about the specific issues that they talk about. Yeah. They might, those issues might not even affect you directly. But you want to know that if you did have an issue that you needed um, addressing, so for example, we'll say ha- the cost of housing, mm-hmm. um, that you know that that person would be in your corner mm-hmm. and that you know the style of leader that they are because you can back them to, to back you, essentially. So that's the sort of thing that you want to demonstrate um, your style of leadership, particularly in an election campaign where you don't have the opportunity to to be the leader yet, but you've yep. got to try and like um, 
send lots of signals about the style of leader that you are. Oh, yeah, the campaigning starts before you even, you know, are in it, right, in terms of... Mm. That's what an election campaign is about. Yeah. It's like a job interview. Mm. And so with a job interview, you don't get to see that person in the job yet, mm. but you're trying to, like, tease out what they would be like and if they're a good fit. Mm. Yeah. So that's yep. essentially what, what a leadership campaign is about. Cool. And yeah. then I guess uh, all, the, all that grounding so useful. Mm. Um, you then applied, you know, the learnings from Google Ads and various other things into running digital yeah, in election um, campaigns. For parties yep. and stuff as yep. well. So Yeah, so I think happy. Facebook sort of became a bit more of a thing. Well, there was like MySpace, um, such a wholesome, um, you know, era in social media. You know, MySpace, mm-hmm. you had your little profile, then you put your five favourite songs on who your friends were. Um, and then Facebook came along. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was, a, it was a new unknown thing. It seemed a little bit niche, didn't really seem like politics was a good fit for it. But over time, what it became was... It allowed people to hone in on their interests and only see content which aligned with their worldview. Yeah, the algorithms, right? That ro- what's really changed it for elections yeah, and stuff. Right. Yeah. So if you were interested in just skateboarding, then you could just scroll Facebook and all you would see was skateboard content. Mm-hmm. Or if you were interested in the left side of politics, then you could scroll down Facebook and just see Socialist Alliance and um, you know activism and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So what it did was you know, counterintuitively, rather than making the world bigger for everyone, mm-hmm. it made it smaller because you were able to get hyper-niche on your interests and connect with everyone around the world who was also interested in that hyper-niche, which uh, until social media, that might have only been a handful of people in your town or in your city, mm-hmm. but now it was potentially millions of people around the world. I mean, that idea and, like, principle of um, social media as well, it's so powerful, but it's also, like... It's crazy. Like, it'd be pretty dangerous too. Like, even with, like, um, TikTok and stuff like that now. Like, it's just giving you this narrow sort of view of the world. Yep. So, I guess it's a sort of something that, you know, we've got to be conscious of. But Definitely, yeah. And, and like, what it means is that um, rather than just news organisations, uh, for whatever you think about them, being the source of truth, now anybody can be a journalist mm. or anybody can share information and it can be taken as gospel by your audience mm. depending on the relationship that you have with your audience. If they trust you, it doesn't matter what you say. There's no fact-checking per se so or, or even um, accountability if you, yeah. if you say things which aren't quite true or alternative facts as has <laughs> been put to you, uh, as someone said once. So um, that's the thing about social... It, did really change the political landscape over time. And there were a lot of sceptics. And I was probably one of the first to run Facebook-targeted ads in Australia Mm -hmm. um, during an election campaign. Um, But what we saw was because we could be targeted with specific interest groups or people who had exhibited certain behaviours, you could say... um, You you could focus on particular issues with those people and then... um, So, you know, say it's... Uh, around petrol tax with people who drive four-wheel drives mm. and then you could focus on your electric car policy with people who are environmentalists. Mm. And so although you're, you're still the same party, you could give different messages or weighting of different messages to different people mm. um, and have political success by being more targeted. Yeah. And I guess just bringing it back to like founders mm. um, and, and people listening, really like you could argue that every company these days is a media company right um because you can control the narrative of your brand you can control the narrative of of what everyone believes is the right way to do something and i i think that's 
you know, proofs in the pudding there. That Yeah, it's a good point. It's no longer about advertising. It's more about entertainment and education, mm. uh, the content that you create. So if, you, if people feel like they're being sold to, you're probably not going to have a really good time. But if they feel like they're being um, educated, that um, they're, they're, earning, they're, they're learning from you, mm. you're building trust, you're demonstrating your expertise, mm-hmm. then that's a much more powerful way to build a relationship than just being point blank advertised out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Back to our regular sort of questions now, but I think that was good grounding for everyone. Sure. Um, ammo. Mm. What problem were you solving? Mm. So... Um, Getting to the end of my political career, um, I did see a lot of, um, you know, small business owners, um, you know, my parents, for example, who when they were working with a marketing agency or a brand agency, they would spend large amounts of money on logos and design um, and then have that all handed over to them, like nice designs for business cards and logos and things, and then left to their own devices. And so the, um, the, the sort of engagements that people were having with these agencies weren't helping drive business outcomes. It was about that agency selling you something, like a discrete little project, and then moving on to the next one. Mm. And what I saw was an opportunity where agencies could have a longer-term relationship with their clients and actually be a partner, much the same way as you have an accountant or a lawyer or Mm -hmm. um, someone who stands alongside you as an advisor, a trusted advisor, and helps you grow your business. Mm. And I didn't see why marketing and advertising and design couldn't be one of those services that, um, in fact, it's actually pretty critical because that's the first impression that clients or your customers have of you. Yeah, it's the way that you message to sell, um, or you know, it's the way you convince people to buy from you. Mm-hmm. Um, really critical part. Mm-hmm. So the model that I set out to to create was that partnership model. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it was through like a monthly retainer, um, and so you know that was sort of like the business model angle of it, but the um, the niche that I wanted to serve was tech businesses yeah. that were doing innovative things and disrupting their market. Yeah, and why was that? Because of the obviously the obsession growing up and parents running an IT business. That helped, yeah. All that yeah, that helped. In, and, but and I think but also I was a little speed. bit idealistic as well. Yeah. Like I wanted to wake up in the morning and look forward to what the day had ahead. Mm. Um, didn't always feel like that with politics. So, you know, I didn't want to wear a suit anymore. Um, and I wanted to be able to wear T-shirt um, and jeans and, and sneakers to work. Uh, I wanted to work with cool people who inspired me and I wanted to be able to help them succeed. Mm. Um, and, you know, if you sort of draw that as a Venn diagram, in the middle there was uh, a marketing agency for tech startups which thought and had a similar kind of mindset to them mm-hmm. uh, and went on the journey with them. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And started in 2014, so yes. back then WA Tech scene was very different, right? Yeah, yeah. Space so. Cube had just opened. Brody yep. had just started um, Space Cube maybe a year or two earlier. Um, it was very exciting. There, you know, there maybe like a handful of tech companies that had been successful and out of WA, but you could see the trend was coming. Mm. Like you could see in Silicon Valley, um, you could see Sydney. Sydney had a burgeoning kind of tech scene as well. Mm. And you could just tell that it was going to happen here in WA. Mm. Um, and I was lucky enough to know, to have a good network from the politics that, you know, I knew a few people who had who were founders of tech companies and got introduced. And I think once I sort of 
announced, you know, put the flag up the pole that oh, this is what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, then the network kind of kicked in and people were like, hey, you should go and talk to Cam. And it was a slow – it was a very slow start. Like I was mm. still working part-time um, at Liberal Party headquarters uh, and then part-time just as a freelancer essentially. Mm-hmm. I'd go and sit with my clients, uh, you know, on a daily basis um, helping them in their business and – that was that learn that really early sort of learning process about what is the need of the client, what's going to help them the most. Yeah. How do you structure a, um, an engagement with these clients so it works best for them and for you? Yeah. And then yeah, eventually got to the point where I you know maybe had half a dozen clients and didn't have any time anymore for the, for the libs and um, you know super grateful uh, to my boss at the time Ben Morton who allowed me to do that ease out transition. Yeah. Um, it was probably the four hour work week. Um, you know, um, Tim Ferriss's book, yeah. which uh, almost mapped out how you could do that from a yeah. tradition, like transitioning from a traditional job to becoming your own boss, essentially. Yeah, nice. And that was the inspiration for it and gave me the confidence to make it happen. And how did you reach your first customers? Was it mainly just like going around those co working spaces? I know you were in Tech Hub, you were in Space Cube, you were, you know, getting around offices and things like that. But yeah, it wasn't like even how that. How did you yeah. even reach them? Um, it was you know, posting on probably Facebook at the time, hey, this is what I'm doing, does anyone need help? Um, it was going to probably some, you know, crummy business, business networking things and just talking to people, asking how their marketing's going. Not all crummy, some of them are still <laughs> around, Cam. Well, <laughs> Be careful. Um, you know, I think 10 years ago networking was a different beast. Nowadays yeah. it's, it's genuine sort of knowledge transfer and helping. Mm-hmm. Back then it was literally like going into sell to each other. And I think that's oh, really? out of vogue now. Yeah. Like those uh, like AA kind we, of meetings. We shouldn't really <laughs> like name any names. But yeah. Stand up and, and sort of. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, like of you, know, you just send your sales exec yeah. to go and beat the drum yeah. um, and tick your box. So <laughs> um, They've fallen out of vogue, thank goodness. Um, but yeah, it was, it was essentially, you know, just, just making it known that this mm-hmm. is what you want and you're looking for, looking for advice or mm-hmm. you're looking to help people. Yep. I know I think back then as well you did quite a few talks. I think that's when I first I met mm. you at one of those. Yep, that's true. Yep, so yep. I got involved in Bloom, yep. um, Morning Startup, um, a few of the other meetups and things around town. And, yeah, I, I don't know why I knew this, but I sort of just knew at the back of my head that if you can be helpful, then good things will happen. Mm. So, you know, I wanted to help um, even if I knew that there was no monetary um, sort of outcome from it. Mm. Um, I was also super involved in um, in participating at morning st- at um, startup weekend, yeah, the hackathon weekends. Um, you know those if people haven't been to them already, you know you go along on a Friday night with mm-hmm. an idea, you pitch that idea to a room full of a hundred people, and then people choose which idea they want to work on for the weekend. You form a team, yeah. You try and build it in forty eight hours. And then you pitch what you've achieved to a panel of investors on a Sunday night. Yeah, and just quietly, Cam was known as a bit of a guru. You won how many weekends? You won like three or four or something? I don't know if I won them. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You won a few. Yeah, texty. Yeah, but but that didn't actually win. Like that's the thing. It 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 had um it was really interesting. It did really well after the startup Mm. weekend, but we didn't. I think we came third with the texty, for example. Yeah. Um, one that we did win was called Very Vote. Yeah. Um, that went on to raise. Some money we we continued on as a business for about eighteen months with mm-hmm. that one, um, and that was for you know coming from the political background, online voting. Yeah, and we'd just been through an election, I think, in twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, twenty sixteen, where um, the election outcome wasn't known for two weeks. Mm-hmm. 
so we're still we're, we're here in the 21st century and people are still voting with pencils and paper yeah and um ballot boxes fall literally fell off the back of a truck between greenbush and um pemberton and they couldn't find it and they had to rerun the entire election in western australia again at the cost of 30 million dollars so every time i talk about that intersection of tech and politics with people yeah. they ask like why don't we have online voting yet yeah um, it took us 18 months to figure it out with VeriVote, but, but we did discover like there is a pretty fundamental reason why. And it's probably that we just aren't ready yet as a society for every individual to have a unique and very secure personal ID, which they can vote with. We're not good with our own security. We're just not. Like people, we're just, there's a cybersecurity literacy that, that needs to exist yeah. for that amount of trust to be able to, be, to happen, mm-hmm. something like voting. There's nothing higher stakes. Like bank security is one thing. Money can be replaced or insured. Mm-hmm. But as we saw in America, um, when, when democracy is questioned, mm-hmm. it creates some pretty fundamental um, problems. Mm-hmm. So until we can solve that problem, electronic online voting is probably not going to happen. Mm. Well, shout out to Cyber West summit coming right up. <laughs> yeah. yeah like your the, security leadership there and you know technologies like blockchain are probably where that's yeah. going to get solved um but it's definitely going to be an education or some sort of fundamental shift in people's mindsets about how they protect yeah. their digital identity and you met adrian there as well right and adrian Peterson. Yep. yes yeah yep. he's now the founder co-founder of afterwork vc yep yeah so he was our ceo at very vote mm-hmm. um you know like a brain at uwa um, through Bloom as well. So, um, you know, I think that accumulation of just being involved in the community mm-hmm. um, and being as helpful as possible and walking the talk mm-hmm. um, really does help for a services business like yep. this. Yeah. What, what was the point? Because I guess at that point, growth marketing as a concept was still pretty new. Mm. Like, um, wh- what was the point when I guess you started to realise there was some real value here or you, you had something that was worth... Well, I think back then we called it growth hacking because that was like the trendy um, sort of concept at the time. And everyone was looking for a silver bullet. Like, what's the growth hack we can do? Everyone would talk about, you know, the Airbnb growth hack of scraping Craigslist. Yeah, yeah. um, You know, so everyone was looking for that little silver bullet. Yeah. I think the reality was that, um, and I think I certainly, you know, spoke about this as much um, since then, is that there is no silver bullet. Mm-hmm being as close to your customer as possible and having that extremely deep understanding of um, their behaviour and how to, how to get them to change their behaviour mm-hmm. is, is, the um, is the best form of marketing mm-hmm. because then you're no longer guessing, you're no longer advertising, you are helping. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that was the sort of philosophy that I brought to it and that's where growth marketing as a, as a concept comes in where it's you discover that, as deeply as possible about your customer and then you try to build a process which is repeatable and scalable inside your business mm-hmm. to, to help t- people take that in an automated way um, on your journey. But you've got to do the manual part first mm. to learn that. You've effectively built like a good growth team now with Ammo. Yeah. Um, like how, how did that come about? Would there be anything that you'd change or like do you think you just had to build that up over time? Like, Well... I think at the, um, you know, the first few years, I never really thought ammo would be anything beyond me being a freelancer. Mm. But I think when I discovered the, um, the power of having a team around you, 
and then teaching them your skill set and the way that you do things, mm-hmm. that multiplication effect is more mm-hmm. than just 2x or 3x. It's mm-hmm. like a um, – it's exponential. Um, Adrian was probably the first guy after we wrapped up very but he came and you know worked with me for three months and I saw the power of having an extra set of hands. Mm. Um, and then um, after he was wrapping up that three months, I said, mate, I can't lose you. I need you to help me find more people. Um, and that's how he met you and Liam. Um, we had a bit of a sort of open um, recruitment process. Um, we were originally only hiring for one, but I met you and Liam and I was like, I need, I can't say no to either of these guys. I need both of them. So that was um, that was probably the, one of the big unlocks for me, I suppose, mm. is the understanding um, the power of teams from in a business point of view. Mm-hmm. And even if you think that you've got a technical expertise that is in your head that you can't duplicate, it's probably not true. Mm. Um, if you put the effort into teaching others the way that you do things and creating processes around it, mm-hmm. that actually at its core is the engine of a business. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's what I that's what I sort of learned from having working with you guys. Mm-hmm. At the time, it felt like a massive risk. Like I'd never paid someone's wages before. Yeah. I didn't know how to do superannuation or um, payroll. Um, but... It's amazing when you free yourself up from the day-to-day delivery work um, that what you can do to then take your business to the next level as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like just having that space and that thinking time and yeah, stuff yeah. like that it's as well. It's almost not quantifiable, but, um, you know, it feels counterintuitive at the time, but it's always, it's always worth it. Mm-hmm. If you, And then I think the second lesson was the power of culture mm-hmm. and and like – person-to-person fit in a team um, and making sure that you get the personality right, the personality fit right Mm -hmm. before you put too much credence in skill set or experience Mm -hmm. Um, because um, skills with the right attitude and the right personality can be taught really well Mm -hmm. um, and experience can be gained. Mm -hmm. You can't change people's personalities. You've seen a lot over the years, nine years working in growth marketing. What are some of like your highlights or like favourite campaigns or like to even tech startups and stuff you've been a part of. And I know that you, you don't want to pick any favourites here, yeah. but maybe just some examples from some growth teams or from just campaigns and stuff. I mean, there's been times where you've also so taken on projects like the Basil campaign, for instance. Yeah, that's diff- true. It's pretty different. I don't want to lean on politics. Um, yeah. Give me a tech example, maybe. Well, one, one example that comes to mind probably in the heady days of, of well, probably even before the real bubble of Bitcoin and um, crypto, yep. um, we worked with a startup called Bamboo. Yep. And um, Still going, going yeah, well. Yeah, you know, they're doing yeah. super well. And But early on, it was just a concept. They didn't have an app or anything like yep. that. And we were just helping them build an early access list. Yep. Um, and we wanted to get as many people, like, beating the door down to use this thing when it launched as mm. possible. Um, and yeah, we did some really cool creative campaigns around that, um, targeted at the time, you know, things on social media. Um, I think we paired it with some PR, um, and some Mm. content that was really cool. Um, there was uh, a company which no longer exists, but, uh, was doing, uh, like vehicle crash alert systems. Oh, yeah. Um, and that was, you know, really kind of like interesting hardware product and, um, you know, it was one of the cases where it was a technology looking for a market as opposed to the other way around. Like, I knew yeah. it was going to be going into vehicles, yeah. but we didn't know whether it was going to be, like, motorbikes or new cars or 
um, you know, four-wheel drives. And what we discovered, the um, caravans or grey nomads driving around Australia <laughs> yeah. who were often in areas out of radio or um, phone signal mm-hmm. um, were worried about what would happen if they accidentally ran off the road and there was no one around to, mm. to sort of rescue them. So, yeah, we did um, – I think we've got that story up on, on the ABC or something like that. We took that news story and then ran that as a Facebook ad targeting people over 50 with caravans and we had this massive sort of um, list of inquiries come through as a result yeah, of that. awesome. So I think it was um, – there lots of lessons there um, but something about content that really stood out for me yep. is that, that authentic content that maybe comes from a third party like a mm. news article on the ABC – and then taking that and then targeting that at the right people um, is, will perform so much better than something that you've probably created yourself to yeah. look and feel like an ad and try and sell some benefits. Yeah, You want to sort of show that it's other people and there's other third-party tr- trusted sources talking yeah, about Yeah, and we've seen that combination work quite well a number of times, yeah. right? Like the p- PR mixed with a good balance of uh, digital spend mixed mm. with you know yep. some thought leadership or a trusted brand, all those three things coming together Absolutely. to build that list and momentum. Yes. Um, just keeps working. It does. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's amazing because... Everyone, because everyone else's instinct is often like, let's just run some Google ads, let's just create some banners and post them up on Instagram, um, and we'll, you know, the right people will see it and the right action will happen. Mm. The other, the third, probably the lesson from that is have a clear call to action. What are you asking people to do as mm. the first step towards becoming a customer? Mm-hmm. Too often, I think it, people just go for just brand awareness and just broad like bombard people with that mm. we exist. But if you're not asking them to do something, if you're not asking them to sign up for early access or, you know, get the discount code or asking them to vote for you mm. or being explicit about what you want them to do, mm-hmm. then you're going to come to a dead end. People, only the most motivated people are going to go out of their way to yeah, find, for sure. to, to dig around and find what you're asking. So yeah. just be clear. Cool. Um, on that, while we're talking about advice, one big piece of advice for founders I have asked this question of about four, you know what 40 50 guests yeah. now on weird growth and um, there's a there's a few themes that pop up mm-hmm. um, my big piece of advice to founders is go back and look at each of those because <laughs> there's there's different strokes for different folks with these things there's not one as I say one silver bullet I know it's a cop out yeah it's a cop out come on Cam. Okay. I would say if you are waking up in the morning and mm-hmm. you're not looking forward to the day ahead, mm. you need to solve that. Right. So focus on what you want. Focus on what's going to yes. excite you and give you butterflies in the tummy mm. because you've got something fun to do each day. It doesn't mean that – it doesn't mean shying away from hard work or difficult things. Mm. It means leaning into the things which motivate you mm-hmm. and under, and have that, have that understanding of your personality. Do a personality test. Do DISC or – one of the other myriad of things out there to understand what it is that motivates mm-hmm. you and then create the conditions for you to be your best mm. professional. It's great. Thanks for pushing me on that. <laughs> not letting me cop out. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's a good response. Um, show and tell. Mm. Any tools or things that you're... Well, we the, already mentioned I, chat. I could cop out and can't, talk about that. Can't do that one. That one's off the table. Okay. It can be any um, anything, new cafe. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, 
so at the moment I'm I'm not working full time in the business. I'm exploring other ideas and things. Um, what are the what are the tools that I've been using? Um, I to be frank, I've stopped striving for inbox zero. Okay. In outbox in Outlook. That's a good one. Um, I used to be a freak for it, but I've discovered I just don't have the time for it. <laughs> I, I, and so what I've realised is... It's I like actually, a useless stat. I actually spent so much time in Outlook dealing, like managing with emails to get to, to, to maintain um, inbox zero mm. that I've realised it's actually not that necessary. Mm. Um, you know, there's probably 2,000 emails just in the inbox now. Um, but I, I survived. So many founders listening will love that. <laughs> I haven't seen so, a founder with more than, you know, 2,000 unreads. So. so it's okay. It's not the end of the world. Don't um, worry about Inbox Zero, guys. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's probably that. Yeah. Cool. Oh, not good for Superhuman. Well, uh, Superhuman has yeah, its place. Um, it does, yeah. And then the other thing is just like my little um, – my, my little – black note, notebook mm-hmm. is my source of truth. Mm-hmm. So no longer is my email my um, to-do list. Mm-hmm. It's whatever goes in there with mm-hmm. a star next to it is an action. Mm-hmm. And so I know what I'm doing each day. That's it. Mm-hmm. And the calendar helps too. Cool. Just being organised basically. Yeah. Being organised but not but worrying being, about inbox. Being zero. intentional about which bits need organising and which don't. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Anything else that you wanted to talk about today? Anything I missed from the ammo story or just growth stuff? Well, I think the, the sort of chapter that we're at at the moment with ammo is that um, you're our, our general manager and you're doing a fantastic job, by the way. Um, it's been probably the most rewarding part of my involvement with ammo is seeing you step up into this role and, um, you know, you've been in training for it essentially for nearly six years um, it's it's very rewarding to see you have the space to make it your own now, um, and the rest of the team steps up into those gaps that you're that you're sort of vacating as well. So I think um, you know over nine years, the really cool thing is seeing it become ammo become its own. It's not just about me anymore. I'm mm-hmm. not at the centre. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, it allows me to go off and do other things in life and still be involved in ammo as a director, mm. but. It's like seeing your kid go to high school or leave high school and go to uni now. Yeah. Like it's become its own self. I guess. But my response to that would be like where people are, people are important and at the centre, but really it's our community and customers, right? Like that's Absolutely. probably the biggest thing that would be. Yeah. And that provides the, the momentum mm. that the business has is that no longer uh, am I, you know, going out trying to find clients. It's, we have a reputation in the market now mm-hmm. where people, if they're looking for, they're, they're a startup founder or a scale-up yep. um, and they're looking for someone to help them with marketing, they're going to find their way to us eventually yeah. because someone's going to know someone or they're going to be recommended. Yeah, that's cool. And, you know, as funny as it is, we're a marketing agency that doesn't do a great deal of marketing ourselves because we have that track record, we have that reputation. Yeah. Um, so build the reputation. That would be your, like, final... Well, I think it's like, what do you stand for? Yep. Why do you exist? I think this is kind of sounds a little bit generic, right? But, and then demonstrate how you do that for free mm. and be as helpful as possible. Help first and good things will happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Any uh, final plugs asked? 
yeah. people add you on LinkedIn? Where should they go if they want to add contact me on LinkedIn you? If you want to get in touch with me, um, join our mailing list at ammo.marketing. Yep. Um, subscribe to Weird Growth. Um, and check out myfunnel.com.au as well. Uh, I, yeah. think we, I, I think there's going to be some really cool things that we build in there this year. Might um, be, yeah. Especially around AI own. and things. Um, and we've learned a lot of lessons from that. Mm. Um, I think we've had over 1,500 submissions on it now. Um, it's to help founders with a starting point for what they should do with marketing, cut through some of the confusion and the overwhelm that you get when you start with your marketing journey. Um, so myfunnel.com.au, give that a try. And this is the knowledge that we've learned over nine years baked into a, a nice little neat tool and it's free. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Well, thanks, Cam, thanks, for Jay. joining me on the show. Thanks, everyone, for watching. If you did enjoy this episode, wherever you are watching or listening, please like, subscribe, and give us a review. Um, you can reach out to us at hello at ammo.marketing as well if you have a question uh, for the team. Um, but that's all we've got for today. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.